Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. Welcome to the Frontline Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Lake, and I'm super excited about today's episode because for the first time ever, I'm actually interviewing two guests on one show. So let me introduce both guests and let's get started. The first is Rebecca Rostar. She is the Supervisor of Organizational Training, Development, and Change Management at Lansing Board of Water and Light. As an experienced change management professional, she has cultivated a change management culture and is responsible for managing adoption of change management principles within her organization. With multiple large initiatives impacting almost every position in the company, Rebecca has been essential in quickly adopting methodologies to address the people side of change. And that's awesome because that's a big theme of what we want to talk about here on Frontline Innovators. Our next guest is Mike Dwyer. He's an organizational change management analyst responsible for helping implement the people side of change at the Lansing Board of Water and Light. He works closely with various departments to strategize and develop change management plans in addition to looking for areas for improvement and increased engagement. He works very closely with Rebecca to help create an environment that embraces change and a desire to want to change. Please welcome to the show, Rebecca and Mike. Thank you both for being here today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Really excited to get started here. And um, we had to flip a coin at the beginning of this to see who was going to answer the question first, I know. So uh, let's start off and, and ask you, Rebecca, what's the biggest challenge you see facing the deskless workforce today? Our biggest challenge facing our deskless employees is uh, timely communications regarding change that's uh, coming to them. All, most of our field workers either work solo or they might work on small teams. And they're really focused on completing their work orders and getting their work done. They're not sitting at a desk with a computer looking at emails all day. So we have to be really, um, you know, think outside the box really when it comes to communicating with our uh, frontline employees. And that's probably one of our biggest challenges. I want to come back to that because I think timeliness is, is an important aspect that is worth exploring a little bit, but I want to give Mike an opportunity to kind of share his thoughts. So I, I've let's table that for a minute. And, and Mike, I'd like to hear your take. What do you feel is the biggest challenge you see facing the deskless workforce? So I would say, I, I, I actually want to kind of go piggyback off what Rebecca said. I think it's, uh, it's definitely the communications and trying to get those down. I think Another big challenge is uh, determining what works best for those frontline employees that are out in the field that may not be having or don't have access all the time or aren't checking, you know, their emails all the time just because that's just not really part of their daily routine. It's really understanding what really works for them and what is the best way to get the, the communications of, you know, not just, you know, what's happening in the organization, but any changes that might be happening um, in their area, or other departments that might impact them. I think really trying to find a good medium to go through, which works for, you know, majority of the folks is probably the biggest, I think, challenge, which I think we made some good strides in figuring that out. But um, I think it's an, um, an ever evolving, you know, um, issue that we're trying, trying to do. And I think we're getting better as we go, but I think it's definitely finding what works best um, for the frontline, you know, for the folks uh, on the ground. You know, to hear both of you talk about employees who don't spend most of their day in email, for us knowledge workers who spend a good part of our day in email, yeah. it's, 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 it's almost hard to imagine, right? But that Correct. is the reality. Mm -hmm. this, mm -hmm. These are the men and women that are actually out in the field, actually getting stuff done. And uh, yeah, they're not sitting behind Outlook or whatever email program your company uses. Um, so when we just think about the most simplest of things, which is how do we communicate change? Uh, we're, you know, we have one less communication method when we're thinking about the men and women on the front lines. And um, so I, I love that point. I, I want to come back. It, it sounds like you guys have really thought this through quite a bit and that you um, have some great ideas that maybe have tried to, to solve for some of this. But before we get into that, I, I want to give our audience a little bit of background on both of you. And um, 
Rebecca, since we started with you, I'm going to ask you first to, to give us a little bit of background. How did you end up in, in the role that you're in today, working for the organization that you do? Give us a little bit about that background. Absolutely. So um, at the Lansing Board of Water and Light, we had these large technology initiatives, um, not really new to the industry, but new to our company that we were um, implementing. And through that, we identified the need for managing not just the project, but the people side of the change as well, because these technology initiatives were impacting majority of the organization. So they, they you know, added me to the project team really to manage the change. Uh, we did have a consultant initially part of our project team, and he was very, um, he had a lot of experience in change management, but the way that he approached change management was very organic, you know, change, change happens and it evolves and, and our company as a utility is full of engineers and accountants and they were not very, um, uh, they didn't really appreciate his style of managing change. Um, <clears throat> you know, they're a little bit more linear thinkers, process driven, things like that. So they um, just approached me and was like, hey, we just want you to do this, you know, and, and we, I added Mike to my team and we were like, yeah, we really should probably get some training on how to do this because we don't really know what we're doing. So we went to, um, to ProSize change management training and learned about their methodology and their approach. And while we were there, you know, we really went there to say, we need to do change management on this project. But when we were there, we realized we can't do just change management on this project. We really need to adopt it as an organization. So I came back to the board after the training and I went to the executive team and I was like, if we're going to do this, we really need to, to do it the right way. And so that's where we started the conversation and they created the organizational change management department with Mike and I within that department to kind of approach it from an organizational capacity, as well as from the project perspective. And now we've trained other practitioners within our company and our executive team has been amazing at really getting on board and sponsoring change management throughout the company. That is like a, a textbook story of how to implement <laughs> OCM in, in the organization, especially the fact that, you know, you were from within and brought those skills in or acquired those skills. Um, but you already knew the culture. You already knew how things worked inside the organization. You probably had a network of, of people that you could depend on already. And so to go firm that up then with, you know, the ProSci framework um, to put some structure around that, uh, that's just, that's a textbook plan right there. That's, yeah. that's really and our, awesome. our, our executives really appreciated the structure approach as well. I think it was easier for them to buy in as well once we had, you know, more, a little bit more structure to what we were trying to do. Yeah. Okay. I, I, you're giving me a whole bunch of other things that I want to dig into now, but again, I want to try to get uh, a complete perspective here. So Mike, why don't you, how did you get roped into this deal with uh, Rebecca? Um, well, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, you know, I, uh, so basically, you know, I was uh, at the time I was an HR generalist and I was kind of helping with the labor relations, you know, kind of, you know, cause we do have a union at our company and mm -hmm. it was, very involved with kind of doing interviews, you know, disciplines, you know, the whole kind of gamut, what uh, HR generalists um, do. And uh, Rebecca, I was actually approached by Rebecca. And she's like, hey, I got this opportunity, if, if you're interested, to come over and help on these, uh, to become be smart projects with these big initiatives going on. And I was like, absolutely. I would love to, you know, I like to try new things. I like various, you know, I like to dabble in all different types of things. I, I'll just try this out. You know, I'm like, okay, so what are we doing? You know, and it's like, well, change management. I was like, okay, well, what is What's that? that? You know, it's like just <laughs> kind of going in like blind. I was like, but I, you know, I trust Rebecca and Rebecca and I have a, a good rapport. So I was like, you know what? I know she'll, she won't let me just flounder and just, you know, not, so she'll help me out. So I was like, yeah, I'd love to try it out. So that's why I went over to the, um, the project teams and kind of helped out. And as we, to, you know, Rebecca's point, as we first started, it was very like, okay, so change management, people side, watch, and we started to kind of focus on bits and pieces, which I think we had a pretty good idea of like kind of what we were doing, but it wasn't until I think we went out to the pro side and got our training there and certified where we came back with, okay, now we got some ammunition to come back and be like, okay, this is what you have to do. And um, that's kind of how I kind of fell into this. And then eventually it was, we created a department and it was, a, you know, Rebecca and I to kind of have like lead these. Um, so it wasn't so much project focus. It was now getting to corporate. Cause I think people, 
I mean, I think executive management and managers and uh, the uh, other individuals in the company kind of noticed that like, wow, this is actually important stuff to know. And I think the biggest thing that I saw was the communications. It's like when we started to increase communications, you started to see people be like, oh, this is very helpful. And you start getting this really positive feedback. And it was just kind of funny to me. I was like, man, something as little as just like having an avenue of communication, having an avenue to get feedback, having an avenue to, to, to get um, that kind of frontline opinion and stuff um, or, you know, from other individuals was huge. And it's like, you don't really notice that impact, I guess, until you start doing it. And it's just ever since then, now it's like we drill communications and we got to do this. And now it's kind of become a standard, I think, I mean, are starting to grow into a standard in our company where it's like, where's the OCM on this? Where's this? Where's that? And I, and I really think it's starting to kind of evolve and grow within the company, which is really exciting to be part of. So in summary, you took a job with somebody who said she had no professional training in a given area. And when you said what's change management, you weren't really sure what that even meant yet, but you said I'm on board anyway. 1000%. That's good. I love it. Oh, it's, it's because of Rebecca though. I got to make sure everyone knows that. I was like, if it was some random, I don't really know. I might be a little yeah. more hesitant, but I, I mean, I trust Rebecca. So I was like, let's do it. Well, I think that that speaks volumes. And, and Rebecca, I, I actually do want to come back to that a little bit because, um, Clearly, somebody or people in the organization saw something in you that maybe at the time you didn't even see in yourself. What was it, do you think, that they saw or what did they tell you that they saw about you and, and your connection to the workforce that when they saw, hey, an external consultant just isn't connecting with us, but we think Rebecca would be a better fit? T talk me through that a little bit. Sure. So I started at the Board of Water and Light in the training department and there wasn't a lot of structure there when I first initially started. So I really started kind of from the ground up building a lot more structure within our training department. It was just me and the manager at the time. Um, and through doing corporate training, it's you build this rapport with um, employees and you get to know a lot of the employees within the organization from the boots on the ground through the management team which is, is helpful in you know, building that kind of network. And then when they see you as someone who has the ability to do, um, you know, to do these kinds of initiatives and, and training and things like that. And a lot of times when we were talking about change management, initially they were focused a lot around training specifically and ensuring that we had the right training. So I was, that was part of the, the connection as well. Um, ensuring that we had the, that knowledge and ability piece of component of change management. Um, it's obviously grown since then, yeah. but a lot of the background in what I was able to do within the training department, within the pro programs and projects that we had, um, and the way that I was able to kind of develop those, I believe that that was part of what led them to believe in me, <laughs> my ability to do change management with with no experience in change management, but the background in organizational development helps. I want to point out as, as both of you have shared each of your versions of the story, there's um, a strong theme of trust and rapport building that's coming through in, in what you're both describing. And that to me is such an incredible, I know it seems so obvious when we say it out loud, right? It seems obvious. How would we expect to do anything inside a large company without those things? But the reality is without a deliberate focused attention being paid to change management and the human impact that you both talk about, uh, that's often left out of the equation. And so when I, I look back in my career in projects that I was involved with, with large companies, I was typically a, an outside um, you know, consultant or partner working with a large corporation, trying to implement uh, some of these changes. And I see that that was actually a breakdown. Um, there had not been trust established between the work, the frontline workforce in particular, and there, the, the rapport was not very constructive. You know, may, there might've been some communication, but it wasn't, it wasn't what I would call rapport. <laughs> and, um, and so it's, it's interesting to hear you both talk about it. And it's obviously just something that permeates through, you know, the culture inside your organization. So that's pretty neat to hear you talk about. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, don't let Mike sell himself short on what he brings for our project <laughs> team as well. He has a way of really making people feel comfortable and people being willing to be open with our team. And that's really kind of the crux in that communication is ensuring we have the two-way communication where we're not just constantly pushing information out, 
but we're also also asking for some very candid feedback and being able to create an atmosphere where people feel comfortable to have those conversations with us is important. Yeah. So, Sorry, I just want to just kind of piggyback off that. And to Rebecca and Justin, to your point, I don't believe true management can really happen uh, without trust. And I, I really don't, I just don't, I think, or if you try to do it without the trust, it's going to be very difficult because I believe, in my opinion, I think it's going to be very much like Rebecca said, kind of shoving information, just do it, whatever. Establishing that trust and having that two-way communication that Rebecca said, where people, I mean, I, people have told me things before where they're just very, very, they're just not happy about it, right? Like they're just upset and maybe they just need to vent a little bit and that's okay. Venting is okay. I mean, if you vent too much, it starts to become complaining. So maybe like not so good, but venting is okay. I think it's a healthy part of the process, but establishing that trust and having, being able to have that rapport with individuals who are like, you know what, I'm going to go to Mike. I don't even care if he tells me what, like the right thing or not. I'm just going to, you know, let him have it, whatever. I see that as actually, I I actually, in a odd way, enjoy that. I don't mind people coming and telling me like things are upset with because that information is very important. You can't really make changes. You can't address issues. You can't look at certain things without getting the honest feedback from the people. If all you're getting is just, yeah, it's fine. Management told us to do this, blah, 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 blah. Are you really moving forward? In my opinion, I don't think so. I think you have to have, you have to kind of be open to that feedback and be okay with criticism, you know? And I just, I, I, I I appreciate Rebecca's feedback on that, but I I actually don't mind that stuff. And I try to foster an environment where people feel okay telling me things, knowing that like, you know, just tell me what you think because we can't change stuff. We can't make corrections. We can't address issues without you telling us how you truly feel what's going on. And change management is feeling, you know, a lot of it is how you feel about something. And so that's kind of like, I I do appreciate Rebecca's comments on that, but that's, that's what I kind of try to strive to do is establish that trust or at least an area where someone can go and just like, I need a vet. I just need to let some steam off. And I'm totally okay with that. Cause I think it's, I think it's a healthy part of the process to be honest with you. You know, we, we probably, you probably very specifically hear some legitimate concerns that are worth being addressed. Right. So there's, I imagine there's some balance, right? Sometimes it is just whining because people want to just complain and that's okay too. Like you said, that's part of the process, but in there, I bet there are some gems of ideas of things that perhaps you haven't thought about before, or just a new perspective that maybe you didn't have before that comes from some of that communication. And if we, if we only open the floor to positive communication, we're not going to hear some of those other perspectives and allow us to, to change course or modify our plan. And I, you know, and I, and I hate to say it, but like, it's not always all positive. I mean, if you think it's all positive all the time, I think you're just kind of living in a world that's just not reality. It's just, and that's okay. I mean, you just have to be okay with like hearing that. And um, that's, that's definitely, I think part of it is, you know, I, you know, I'm behind a computer all day, right? Like I'm sitting here, I'm not down, I'm, I'm not on the lines, I'm not underground, I'm not reading, I'm not doing any of that stuff. So when we push these technologies out or whatever, and we, and we have these going in, I'm not there to actually experience what's going on. So I want to trust them that they're telling me what's going on. So I can be like, okay, this is an issue and we have to address it or something has to happen. I feel like, so having that is definitely helpful. Can you think of any times when maybe something that others might perceive is just complaining has given you ideas that, that have caused you and your team to, to change course or maybe add another layer of communication or anything? Any stories you can share with us? Rebecca, you have, uh, I, I think of a couple. Go ahead. So, okay. So I would say the first one is um, we didn't really have, I would say we didn't really have a good, uh, starting off, I don't think we really had a good feedback communication with the, the, the boots on the ground folks. So what we decided to do is we actually started to establish change ambassador meetings. So essentially what we did is we have, meetings once a month where we all kind of come together and we kind of explain everything that's kind of happening in the company and um, and, and ha- what happened with the company and what's going on and kind of get that feedback going back and forth. And then in addition to that, since that was kind of established, um, the, you know, now the executive union, the union leadership and executive team get together to kind of talk things out and have this back and forth dialogue, which I think is incredibly beneficial. I mean, to have that kind of, so I think that's definitely helped out with kind of 
getting their opinions and what they're seeing on the ground. And then it really helps, you know, the executive team kind of understand what's going on and the union leadership team to understand what's going on too. So they can kind of work this, you know, communication out, if you will, or if there is an issue, they can address it and kind of work it out. Well, what led you guys to realize that the feedback loop was part of the, the challenge or, or a gap? Was, was there an incident where you realized that you hadn't collected the, the feedback from the field? Like, did you just have an epiphany moment one day? What, what caused that to come to the surface? So I think that um, it started initially with these projects that we had, these core, our core um, technology initiatives. And um, there were a lot of individuals coming to Mike and I about specific issues or specific problems that we thought had been communicated more broadly. Um, when, as we were having these conversations, we realized that there's still this huge communication gap between the workforce and the project teams and the things that are going on. So initially the change ambassador meeting was set up to really build that communication. We have since kind of, it's, it's morphed into more organizational changes occurring, but within the project teams, we've even built, um, you know, quarterly meetings where we bring the SMEs from the different um, impacted areas in that are just part of that one project. And it's just focusing on what are the issues that you're facing? Um, out of that has come, you know, added job aids where we were able to identify um, situations where the training maybe had been either the training didn't really fulfill the need or the training wasn't just in time training. So um, the timing of the training may have been incorrect. So uh, some refresher training was needed or we ended up creating some additional job aids that could be kept in the truck because you know they're using new handhelds and new, new technologies and they don't need to use it maybe every day, but then they get on one service order where they need to do some troubleshooting and they're having these issues. So they're coming back and they're like, the training wasn't great. And we're like, we've, we've done the training six times now. Like, I don't think we can give you any more training. I think that, I don't think that's what's gonna fix this problem. That's where we identified, okay, let's put together some job aids that you can keep in your truck that you can pull out and help you with these troubleshooting situations. Um, yep. You know, that was really the things that we were getting out of this was we kept hearing, we haven't had enough training, but we have, documents that show you've been through this training multiple times. Um, initially, the training may have been a little bit too early. Then the training that we did later on wasn't really fulfilling the gap. And really what it was is once they were out, they worked solo. So once they were out, they were kind of left to their own devices. And that's where the, the huge gap was. And yeah. so by being able to provide some additional collateral, it helped them. So we started off with just the project specific. Now the change ambassadors morphed into more corporate change, but we still have these very project specific quarterly review meetings where it's gather information from your teams. What are the gaps? What are the things you have questions on? Let's make sure we're answering those and providing you what you need to be successful in your role out in the organization when you're doing your work. The fact that you guys have spearheaded a complete cultural transformation centered on change is, is really exciting, incredibly impressive and something you should both be incredibly proud of. It's, it's really neat to, to hear you tell the story. I want to come back to some of the kind of cultural overall company things that you're talking about, but Mike, I feel like you had something to say in response. I, I was just going to say, you know, I, and it just taught me right now, we're actually kind of in the process of doing this right now. So we just, um, we just implemented a customer information system, but as we've gone through, we've, we've, there's obviously, I mean, nothing's perfect, right? So you're going to identify some issues. So we're actually in the process right now of reaching out to the managers to identify individuals to have monthly meetings where we're going to come and kind of address these issues and have action items taken from these, you know, we have people from billing, we have environmental, we have people that are all impacted by this system coming together that we're going to meet and, um, we're going to meet and we're going to talk and, and kind of address the issues that people are seeing. It's just, you know, I think there's a lot of things that are, 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 are coming about that maybe we just don't have the resources at the time to address, but we don't want them to go on the wayside. We want to make sure that we're, so that we're addressing those. So that's kind of the whole purpose of these meetings 
And, you know, I'm going to help facilitate along with our other uh, change management uh, practitioner that's, uh, we're going to kind of work together in tandem to kind of address these issues, bring them to the front, and then make sure that we have some action items taken out. And again, what I anticipate is we're probably going to see more things from different areas that people are struggling with. And that's the whole point. I mean, the whole point is to have an environment, have an area where people like, listen, like, and it might even just be a little bit of event session to start, which is okay. But as long as we're getting some, you know, some data, data, if you will, information back from these individuals, where we can address these certain, you know, issues, problems, whatever you want to call them or glitches, whatever, you know, we can address them there. So at least we have it, um, an action on what we can take from that and do something about, or at least address it. And then, you know, maybe prioritize. That's kind of the whole thing, but that's evolving as we speak. To you guys. <laughs> yeah. So that's really interesting. So when I hear you you both talking a lot about the increasing the volume and improving the quality of communication, I can imagine there are some people on the inside saying they're getting overwhelmed with all the communication. (laughs) Is is that happening? I see your heads nodding. For those that are listening, their heads are both nodding up and down. (laughs) So, So talk me through that a little bit. Like, how do you find that balance between you know, finding the Goldilocks, which is, you know, just enough right in the middle that it's not overwhelming and actually creating more friction and burden for the recipients, but also not leaving people in the dark. How have you dialed that in? Yeah, we try to be intentional about the avenue that we are communicating in. So when we're talking about corporate training, corporate change, we're talking about what are the big changes that are going on at the organization. And we really focus those changes at our change ambassador meeting, which is voluntary. You know, you we don't restrict anybody from attending. We um, purposely invite our change practitioners. So we have you know, about 40 um, trained change practitioners um, within our organization. So we ask them to attend. We also have um, part of our leadership development is emerging leaders. So employees who are not in a leadership role yet, but are interested in becoming leaders. So this gives them an opportunity to hear information and take that information back to their areas and start to be kind of a leader in change. So we invite our leader, our emerging leaders as well. And then it's really open to anybody else who is interested to come. Uh, surprisingly, we have usually around 80 people who attend. Our wow. company only has 700 employees. So to have 80 employees attend is, is great. We also invite our union stewards um, as well to those meetings. Um, and then we ask that the management team give their employees time to attend. It's one hour. We're very good about staying within our one hour. Um, it's once a month. So, and really what we try to follow is, you know, we take information to our executive team. We take it to the manager's meeting. We take it to the union leadership meeting. And then this is an opportunity for employees to come and participate and hear the information that. Um, may or may not filter down to them. And, and many times we hear, wow, my change practitioner brought this information back to my area and I had no idea that was going on from a supervisor. So we're, we always are inclusive. You're welcome to attend. You don't have to. Um, we send the information ahead of time, what topics we're covering. So if it's things you already know about, you don't need to attend. But it's, it's intentional to be as much communication as you want, but it's your option um, whether or not you, you know, you want to hear about that. And then we really ask those in that meeting to take the information back to their areas and help with the communication. And that way communication is going from the bottom up as well as from the top down to really try to make sure we're, um, permeating as much as we can into the organization. Um, you know, so we try to be intentional about the communications that we send we try to, to include as much as we can within whatever avenue we're sending. Uh, we have heard though, it's, there's too much going on. We're hearing too much. You know, we're getting too much information. And you know, our, our comments are always, you know, if you have recommendations for you know, what's too much because the complaint before is we don't know what's happening. So, so you know, we're putting the information out and it's your, whether you want to attend or not. So we try to, we try to open it up and be inclusive, um, but allow the employees to choose how much information they want to hear and when. Yeah. I mean, it it puts a level of accountability back on all of your team members. You've opened the floor to that conversation. 
right? So mm-hmm. if ever, as you pointed out, if, if ever they come back later and say, hey, we didn't know about that, then the onus is on them to say, hey, you've, you've been given the option to come and participate in these sessions. Mm-hmm. If it's important to you to be in the know, then you know, here's, here's how to get there. I have to say that the numbers that you just shared, um, you know, 80 people with a workforce of 700 something, that means more than 10% of the people are participating in this. It, it, that says so much about your culture on a couple of different levels. The first is just that, that to have that level of participation from your workforce at large is profound. And it just speaks volumes to what you have accomplished in a relatively short amount of time to kind of build up this competency inside the organization. It also says a lot to me about your leadership and how supportive they must be to encourage that participation, to give people uh, the time that they need to participate. And, and that also tells me that they're seeing a lot of value from being able to you know, improve your change leadership strategy throughout the organization. So that's fantastic. Absolutely. I think our executive team is probably some of our biggest supporters and that has been, um, has been great. One of our executives even told Mike, he said, I'm not approving this until I see the change management plan. So we were getting ready to implement something and they were saying, I'm not going to approve this until I see your OCM plan for this. And Bingo, that, was that means huge. your job is working now, right? That's perfect. Yeah. You, you've yeah. effectively changed the culture to now people. It's, it's not change management isn't something that's being added on as, as a, you know, uh, an added source of friction, but now it's actually just part of the given it's table stakes and that's exactly the way it needs to get to inside the organization yeah we had we had an incident even where um there was uh a a hazard that could have been detrimental i mean our work is very dangerous work and the executive in that situation different executive was like well where was the ocm on this change that happened that caused you know, this potential hazard to be there. So thankfully it was just a hazard and wasn't, it didn't become an injury, but that was the question that he asked. And that again was one of those, like, oh, this is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> That's a proud parent moment right. in, in a different kind of way. No, that, yeah. that is fantastic. That has got to be the most rewarding feeling for both of you to know that you started this initiative inside the organization and to see that shift. I love that the the example that you just gave is really a fantastic one because it doesn't just need to be about change around technology. That is a big focus for for this conversation because we're talking about digital transformation with frontline workers on this show. Um, but change management isn't limited to just tech adoption. And so that the, the idea of thinking about that from the physical world as well as the digital world is, uh, is equally important. In fact, in, in your case, in a dangerous utility company, it's probably even more important, really. All right. Um, I just want to say one, um, you know, speaking to the OCM stuff, my, so my executive director, like, you know, I had a meeting with him. He was like, you know, Mike, he goes, a few years ago, he goes, how often did you hear OCM about this, OCM on that? And I was like, not very much. He goes, okay. And then how often do you hear it now? I was like, you know, and then it, it was just kind of funny. I just kind of had that moment of like, oh yeah, you're right. Like, I guess I didn't really think about how much I'm hearing it more and more like executives are asking for and other people. I mean, it's just like, you don't really think about it until, you know, he put that in perspective for me. I was like, oh yeah. I was like, you're absolutely right. I was like, I guess I didn't really think about it until you just told me that. I was like, you know, this whole time Rebecca and I are just trying to, you know, push those sound, help people and push this whole, you know, this whole methodology through, you know, and it's, it's really nice to, to your point, Justin, to kind of see that recognition. And I know I've had executives come up to me and they just say, Hey, like, I, I think you guys are doing a really good job. I'm really grateful for, you know, what you do. And, and they, and they have said that we see it, we see the value and we appreciate it. And I was like, Hey, all right, thanks. <laughs> that, so it's a nice, a nice validation to know that it's worth because you know change management can be very, um, it, it, it's it's kind of it's hard to see when things are 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 definitely working. You know, there's not exactly bar graphs, dollar amounts, things like that. But like to see it with the culture, it, it's nice to hear that feedback. Well, you raise a really good point, Mike. Actually, which is how do you measure the success? And you know. Rebecca, when you were talking before just about um, the training process, that was, you know, that hits home for me because during the day I run a company that has a a training platform. And so some some of the things that you were saying about training really kind of, you know, struck a chord with me. It was interesting to hear the workforce complaining that they weren't getting enough training. You said, hey, we've already done this six times. 
at some point you look at the communication and say, well, there are other ways that we can be communicating this, right? So how do you start to measure then the effectiveness of, of what you guys are doing? Have you come up with any great ideas that's allowed you to, to communicate the value of OCM inside your organization? So, you know, we've used some of the human factor ROI that ProSci, you know, leverages, and it's really time to productivity. Um, you know, how long does it take to get employees productive? And how productive are they? You know, that, you know, how, how many employees are using the new system? So we've measured it in a couple of different ways. Um, you know, we may measure our employees actually leveraging the new system. So we did, all, when we first implemented um, our new advanced metering infrastructure, we had a portal where um, our customer service reps could go in and see the data in order to have more uh, intelligent conversations with our customer about their usage. So that there's concerns um, about billing or about their usage, they can go in and, and look at the data. And we were measuring usage and looking at how often are people logging in, right? And so we started tracking and measuring, you know, are people logging in? How often are they logging in? And many times when we were, when we would find employees who weren't, we'd be like, hey, we see you're not logging in. Why not? And it was that extra question as to understanding why that helped us really um, look at where we can make more of an impact. In some cases, in most cases, it was, well, I forgot my password. Oh, well, that's an easy fix. Let's reset your password for you. In some cases, it was, I, I don't really understand the data. And then it's, okay, well, let's have a, a further conversation about, let's use some examples. Um, I was lucky enough that I, I was one of the first to get a smart meter. They, you know, we used my, my residence as a test location. So I had data in the system. So I was like, well, let's look up my account. And let's talk through the data and what you're seeing there and how you may have a conversation with, with a customer. So it allowed us to give a little bit more kind of a one-on-one -on -one approach where we had situations where people weren't leveraging it, that maybe it was a little bit of fear um, and a little bit of confusion. They had all been through the training. Um, and again, in some cases it was, well, I forgot my password. That's why I'm not using it. And in another case, it was a little bit more like, I, I just don't really feel like I'm feeling comfortable in the new system. I don't really feel like I know how to have that conversation with a customer. So then it can give us a little bit more um, direct approach to, to um, help them feel more confident because it was really about confidence in that new system at that point. And just a, just a caveat off that, you know, when we do these types of measurements, log is, it's, it's not to look for discipline, right? It's not to look for, oh, they're just not, you know, we're going to discipline you tonight. That, that's not the point. The point is what Rebecca was saying. It's like, is to address where are you having issues? Like it's, I mean, if you have someone just like, I'm not doing this, this is dumb, whatever. That's a different story, right? You take a different avenue. But the whole point of that is to get to, to talk to people and say, you know, okay, what is it your password? Are you not understanding? This? Like to really understand what they're not, uh, maybe they're not totally comprehending through the system or whatever it might be. And again, I circle all the way back to trust. It's like, you know, you have to have that kind of trust and rapport or that, that avenue where people feel comfortable. Like, you know what, I just, this is overwhelming for me. I don't understand. Okay, so what can we do to get where you need to be? And it's not used to be like, they're just not doing it. We're going to discipline. That's, that's not, <laughs> that doesn't help anybody. But again, if you have those people that do that, you take a different avenue. But the whole intention is to, you know, really help or try to understand where these people are struggling and then to help them get where they got to be. That's, that's kind of the whole point there. Yeah. And, and you mentioned some words that resonate with me as I really think about the human side of this, which you mentioned fear, confusion, and about being confidence for them using the system and feeling comfortable talking to your customer that they were in a position to explain what it was that they were seeing and answer those questions, right? right. There's so much there. The human element of that is just so profound. I've told this story a thousand times in the podcast, but I'm going to tell it again. Uh, I was out in a truck with a delivery driver for one of our customers. And, and the driver was expressing some of those same emotions. We were asking him about, you know, what his take was on all this change that he was experiencing in the new technology that this company was rolling out. And he used words like fear and stress and frustration, right? And, and I, was, I was just shocked at how self-aware he was and how comfortable he felt sharing those details with us. Right. And then the, the question in my mind was, how many other people feel the same way and just aren't sharing it? 
in part, maybe we, we couldn't get to all thousands of the, the drivers, but how many of them didn't feel comfortable or weren't as self-aware to actually express themselves in the way that that driver did that day. And it, it made me really wonder. And I assume the number is probably higher than, than many people would really um, think it, think it was because those are very real emotions that people have when they're dealing with change and technology can be frustrating. And, and even those of us that are relatively comfortable with technology, we still get frustrated by it. So even though it may not draw out some of the same uh, you know, self-confidence emotions and things like that, it can still be frustrating when we're learning stuff new, even for those of us that are, you know, pretty quick to adopt that stuff. And um, so, you know, with, with this workforce, it, it's good to hear. And, and even if it's 80% of the people are fine, but there are 20% of the people that have some of those feelings for you to be successful, you've got to go find those 20%. And it sounds like you guys are doing a, a fantastic job of opening up that conversation. Absolutely. Yep. We also, when, when we talk about change readiness, we try to talk about it as really a mindset. So nobody ever feels ready for change. <laughs> so you can do all the training, everything right. And if you're like, okay, are you ready? They're going to always say no, because it is a kind of that big step to, to step into that new, new realm. Um, so we try to approach it with, have you been given time to practice? Do you know where to go for help? Do you have the job aids you need if you get stuck? Um, do we have people there that can help? Maybe they're not doing that task, but they're there just to be that person that can help you if, you, if you're stuck. And really what that does is it starts to take away some of that fear of, of taking that leap and letting them know that there is a safety net in place so that even if they fall, they're gonna be okay. And then again, to Mike's point, are well, the things we're measuring, it's the intention is not to measure for people to be in trouble. And we are very clear when we are approaching people that says, hey, we noticed you're not using the portal. It's, I don't know if they even know how we know, but really what we're doing is we're just saying, can you help us understand why, we're, why you're not using the portal? Is there something that we can do to help? And knowing that there's that, that help out there, that there's that safety net to ensure that there's going to be tools and resources available to you helps people feel more ready, even if they're still gonna tell you, no, I'm not ready. They may acknowledge, yes, all of these things are in place. I guess I'm as ready as I'm gonna be. And what's essential in that story as is now become the theme of our conversation today is trust. Mm-hmm. We, we had, um, this has happened more than one time, but I, we had an employee contact our office one day and um, did not want to share their name with us. They were an employee of one of our customers and they did not want to share their name with us because they didn't want their name to show up on a list to somebody that needed help. And that was a profound day that I will never forget. I actually called the whole team together. I've told this story a bazillion times too, but I, I called our whole team together and I said, guys, like, I want everybody to just sit for a minute and think about what just happened. We just had an employee of one of our customers call in. They feared retribution for not understanding how to use something. Um, that may speak volumes. I'll never say the customer name. Uh, it may speak to, to the culture that existed, maybe in the whole company, maybe just on their team. Maybe just they had a bad manager, right? And hopefully that manager is not there anymore. But it, it always made me wonder if we have one person that's called us that needed help and feared that. Imagine how many people didn't bother to call because they feared that, right? Mm-hmm. And the, that's not like, you can open up a thousand people waiting to take phone calls. You can have support desks, you can have all the communication in place, but if you don't have trust to break down that barrier, none of those other tools are going to matter. Correct. Absolutely. I agree hundred percent. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, where does the OCM organization roll up to at your company? Is it an IT function? Is it uh, an operations function? Like how does that work in your group? We currently reside within the HR department. Interesting. So we're kind of that centralized corporate services area within mm-hmm. HR. And are most of your change initiatives coming out of IT projects or is that maybe the way it started? And it sounds like maybe it's morphed a little bit. I would say, you know, maybe 70% of them initially were IT related. Um, we have now been able to change management in all of our projects. So um, our project managers for our capital projects, even if they're building infrastructure, are certified in change management. 
Uh, we're in the process of becoming ISO certified. We have change mm -hmm. practitioners, part of the ISO initiative. So they are doing change management throughout um, our ISO initiative. So we have, uh, you know, we have practitioners in operations within IT. Um, from the corporate perspective, we're really there pushing the corporate level, ensuring that our management has the tools and resources they need to, to manage change and helping our practitioners. And we're more of consultive, um, you know, and now originally we were on these project teams and now we're more, you know, consulting the, the, with the practitioners that are on the projects, trying to help ensure, and, and Mike's put together a continuous improvement process. And then really the goal of that is to share our experiences because we have changed practitioners throughout the organization where we have one aha moment, we want to make sure everybody gets that information so that when they get to that point on their project, they're able to leverage that information. It's fantastic. One thing you've shared that we've not talked about on the show before that I'd really like to explore just real quickly, we're running short on time, but uh, I want to ask you this. You've mentioned union leadership a few times and I've actually personally witnessed very important and potentially very beneficial tech innovation get held up because of union relationships inside large companies. So again, I was on the outside. I was an external vendor, you know, partner uh, to these companies. And so I wasn't privy to the conversations that were happening between, you know, my, my customer at the time and, and the union. But I do know that they were the source for a lot of discomfort, you know, on these initiatives. And so I, I think it's really interesting that you talk about the, the level of involvement with union leadership. And I, I'd just like to explore that with you for a couple of minutes before we wrap up here. How did that come about? What are some of the lessons learned? Uh, anything you can share to maybe give advice with others who are struggling with, you know, just kind of the overall implementation of, of new ideas in their company because of some of the friction with the unions? Yeah, so with our Be Smart projects, which were those technology initiatives, we understood early on the impact that technology initiatives may have on the workforce and the work that they do, specifically the work that our union workforce does. So what we started was between the project team, HR, our executive sponsors, and our union leadership, we started to have meetings around what do, this, what do these changes mean for our union employees. We purposely identified our union business leader, as well as the union stewards in the areas where the biggest impacts were going to happen, and we created a safe place where we could have open conversations with them about the potential impacts these might have on those positions. Um, when you implement technology that replaces work that staff does out in the field, it's, it's scary for those employees who have spent their entire career doing that work. Our company has been great about stating, you know, you're not going to lose your job. We're not going to lay you off because of this. We may need to retool. We may need to think about where does the, where does the work belong in the future? It may mean like a little bit of reorganization. It might be reprioritizing what work you do, but there's still a place for you here. And our general manager, who's at the very top, has made that very clear. I mean, we basically got rid of our entire meter. We had 20 meter readers. We don't have meter readers anymore, and, and, but we didn't fire anybody. We were able to find work, retool staff, look at areas where we knew work was expanding and offer those opportunities to that staff. Now they had to meet halfway, right? So they had to look for opportunities within the organization that were coming available, but we offered, you know, we have apprenticeship programs, but you need math, reading, and writing scores to get into those. So we offer tutoring. We offered, you know, uh, technical skills like Excel training. We, we offered a lot of opportunity for them to skill up so that they could qualify for those open positions within our organization. But having that safe conversation and that what stays in this room, what said in this room stays in this room was key to be able to have those conversations. And then it also offered us an avenue to talk openly about some of the challenges that we're facing. We know that this 
this change is coming and how do we make it be a win-win for both, both sides? I think that is absolutely amazing. Mike, anything you want to add to that before we wrap up here? All, uh, yeah. All I want to say is I think, you know, Justin, you've been touching on this. I think again, it's trust, right? Again, it's yeah. we, that kind of theme in this conversation has been trust and the union wants to know what's going on. They want us, they, they want honesty. They want transparency. That's all yeah. they really ask for, you know? And if you give them that and you can establish this area of trust, I think it makes things a lot um, it makes it more beneficial for both parties because at the end of the day, you know, myself, I mean, I'm non-union, but myself and the non-union and the union members, we all work for the ratepayers. You know, we all, we yeah. all work for the customers, right? Like we're all trying to do a good job for them. So that's, that's kind of the, the, you know, I think we all want the same thing at the end of the day and we can't have these discussions without an established trust relationship. Yeah. And, and they're really hard conversations to have. Yes, very And hard. there are times where the management team, we don't know. We don't know how big of an impact this is going to be. <clears throat> we anticipate there may be, you know, this, maybe this work goes away, but we don't actually, we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know. So the project team is trying to figure out what this means to the staff and the staff's over here, like what's happening to our jobs. And, and until we really can fully understand it, but it allows us that place to have those conversations. This might be an impact. Here's what might be coming down. Um, and here's what we anticipate uh, happening, but we don't, we don't know for sure. We won't know till we get there. Um, so just having that space where we can have those really hard conversations. Um, and then some subgroups meet, you know, where it's just specifically one area where we don't need to include everyone you know, to tackle one specific problem, but it really leverages that union management relationship to, to make the best outcome possible for the employees. It's a fantastic way. I think for us to, to wrap it up, I think you guys have um, really put a bow on it at the end to, to really just talk through, I mean, relationships, business or personal are always a two-way street. They require two-way communication. I think you guys have laid out really um, the most positive plan I've heard of how to really be constructive and deliberate, proactive uh, with all the necessary stakeholders, build a, a culture of, of trust and open communication. And it sounds like you're knocking down some, some pretty big problems uh, in a very constructive and productive way as a result of that. So it's, it's something that you and, and the entire organization should be proud of. And I appreciate you sharing some of those stories today with us. Absolutely. Absolutely. No problem. Excellent. Well, Mike and Rebecca, I do need to wrap it up now. Um, I feel like we could keep talking here for, for quite a long time. There were a whole bunch of questions I didn't even get to. Uh, so maybe we'll have to have you back on the show another time. Um, but we do need to wrap it up. So, um, to our audience, I hope you found this conversation as enjoyable as I have. This was the first time I've interviewed two guests at the same time. I think we did a pretty good job of balancing it back and forth. Hopefully the audience agrees. Um, for those of you that are out there listening, if you do agree, um, Please share and rate the podcast. Five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. Visit the website at skillful.com. That's S-K-Y-L-L-F-U-L.com. And we're always looking for new guests on the show. So if you or someone else you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn share your story or uh, introduce us to somebody else who's uh, doing some great things. We'd love to have them on the next show. Mike, Rebecca, thank you again for your time today. It was great getting to know you a little bit. Thanks for sharing your story. Yeah. Thank you. All thank right. you very much.